0: Megan, America great again. Rapino leads the USA to World Cup glory. We'll look back on an amazing month in France with Kate Borsay from the Offside Rule podcast. In the copper America, Brazil peruve to be too much for the nation with the best kit in football. There's also a red card for Leo Messi. I was in my 20s last time that happened. And in Africa, the second most amazing story about Madagascar continues to develop. Sadly, this one remains bereft of wisecracking militarised penguins, but it's still pretty good. Plus, Frank Lampard finally takes Roman's reins at Chelsea. Paul Pogba is still at Man United. And Gary Monk, uh, we'll leave that until we've spoken to the lawyers. I'm Ian McIntosh, and this is the Totally Football Show. It's a big hello to Optus Duncan Alexander. Hi, Ian.
1: Hello, how are you?
0: Uh, Yeah, good, thanks. Excellent. Alvaro Romeo is here, commentator for TalkSport International. Hello, how are you? Yeah, not as good as you. You're just back off holiday, aren't you?
2: Yes, two weeks in Greece. Uh, When I went there, uh, they had uh, Tsipras as prime minister... And today they have a new one. They definitely yeah. don't now, do they? Yes, yes, a yes, yes.
0: Landslide. There's <laughs> also been a restructuring in Greek football. I'm sure you're all over that, reading the local newspapers.
2: Uh, yeah, but uh, you know the, the thing that surprised me the most, over it's uh, probably the the amount of Portuguese and Spanish coaches that there are. It's unbelievable. I mean, uh, there are four Portuguese coaches and three Spanish coaches in the league which makes it a very Iberian league in some sort of way, yeah. That
0: news on the restructure, the Super League going from 16 teams to 14 and the newly named Super League 2, which will only have 12 teams. (laughs) I knew all that already, didn't have to look it up. Duncan, can you give me an entirely spontaneous statistic about Greek football?
3: Uh, Greek players in the Premier League have scored 56 goals, which is one more than Blackpool. Outstanding. Um, Which
0: of those would you prefer to go to on holiday? Blackpool has got the roller rollercoaster, Greece has got the weather.
3: Yeah, 50 50 now.
0: Yeah, we'll come back on that one. We'll, We'll keep considering that. All right, more on that later. It's time to talk about this.
4: That's it. US wins their fourth World Cup.
0: Yep, the USA retained their crown as Women's World Cup champions, beating the Dutch 2-0 in the final in Lyon on Sunday. Day before that, England lost 2-1 to Sweden in the third-fourth place playoff, meaning that just like the men's team in Russia in 2018, the Lionesses end with more of a meow than a roar. So, how was the tournament overall? And what next for the women's game? Kate Borsay, the host of our Offside Rule podcast, she's been in the jazz basement ever. Every single night of the tournament this is the most daylight she's seen in a month. Kate, how are you feeling? I'm
1: still I've still not seen any daylight because I'm, <laughs> I'm so, down here again. Okay. It was a great tournament and I think, you know, forget about the fact that England finished fourth because I'm desperately trying to forget that fact. I think in a few months time we won't even remember that. We won't even think about that. We'll think about that great game, that great semi-final against the USA and we'll think about how awesome the USA are and that we shouldn't feel intimidated by that. We should feel pleased and grateful. That they're at a stage where investment from you know kids upwards is really paying off, and there's there's a massive message there for us. And this, and I'm so passionate about this as well because of something called Title IX, American kids they have to have equal opportunities in sports. So that means if you offer men's soccer, then you have to offer women's soccer. That's instilled from a young age. I've, I'm I'm really going off on one here, but the result of that means that girls are playing soccer because they are made to play soccer it has to be available from like the age of um, whatever it is 12 13 upwards and that's why they're so awesome they've been playing for so long
0: and now this sport has got a real trailblazer there in Megan Rapino. yes um, who is dragging the sport forward in a way that I I can't recall any male footballer ever doing really that she's she's come out in this press conference and she said that's it there's no more no more talk over equality now we've got to actually do yeah, stuff yeah. uh, she's an incredible figure. She's
1: a great character and she's taken this World Cup by the scruff of the neck. She's basically said I don't care what you all think. This is me. This is what I stand for. She's had an ongoing dispute with Donald Trump throughout the whole thing about whether she gets invited to the White House or not. She doesn't want an invite. She's told him she doesn't want an invite and Trump said well before you start talking about that you better us start winning you better start winning she um, she did that didn't she she did do that indeed and she still won't go to the White House um, look she is not just an awesome footballer um, and that's important by the way if you're going to talk this much you have to back it up on the pitch of course you do um, but she's not just an awesome talker she stands for LGBT issues she stands for equal rights and she's at the point in her career now where she's in her I think she's 33 34 about to be 35 I think um, and she's at the point in her career where she's out to convey a message and to help with the legacy of it and that's really exciting for her because she does you know stuff like so <laughs> when when all the uh, english people got a bit of their knickers in a twist about the alex morgan tea celebration so when the usa scored against england alex morgan sit this tea right Apparently it's got nothing to do with England, but the English, English took umbrage to him. and were like, how dare you take the mickey out of our national drink? This is awful. <laughs> uh, and, um, and there was a big hoo-ha about it. Anyway, Megan Rapinoe was asked about it. Um, And the first thing she said, you you know, basically said, how do you feel about the um, English, you know, really, really taking umbrage to this? And the first thing she said was, wah, wah, wah. (laughs) Like, literally, shut up, please.
0: (laughs) I mean, in that, she does have a point, doesn't she? If you're offended by someone pretending to drink tea, then I I think the outside world is going to be too much for you. And
1: how ace that we're talking about audacious goal celebrations rather than, a rubbish goalkeeping mistake or a referee getting it wrong. Um, Something like VAR has obviously massively dominated this competition as well. Um, But it's great that, that, you know, and and actually VAR tends to have, well, I I think FIFA must have had a meeting after the group stages about how awful VAR was and how it was interrupting games because it did start to get better throughout the World Cup and actually the majority of later decisions were, you know, agreed upon by generally everyone watching. Um, But it's great that we're talking about, you know, Really passionate females standing up for equal rights and also trying to push the game forward, because although, you know, in this country right now, there is a tidal wave in that we are, you know, talking about getting our daughters engaged, getting our nieces engaged, getting our nephews engaged, although that's happening, um, it's going to be some time before we don't have to talk about it if you see what I mean it's going to be some time before we have to stop making an effort and it just becomes normal for girls to
0: play football we need the momentum now don't we because um, yeah, we really we've, have to push we've it. got record TV audiences for the uh, Lionesses games yeah. we've got this buzz about the team we've got the fact that this World Cup as well as England did and they did very well and, and they all deserve great congratulations for that it wasn't really about them, the World Cup it was about this, this massive breakthrough yeah. into the mainstream yeah. what does the professional game have to do now to build on this
1: Right, the professional game has to... When I go onto Google and say and search uh, where can I watch women's football, it has to be there for me. And, and I have to say it's not at the minute... You know, I'm doing a couple of shows today on this and I and I looked it up yesterday. You, you know, I want immediately to be taken to the point where I can see all the teams, let's say in the top two leagues, the FAWSL and the FA Championship, um, that I can see those two leagues games and I can see where Spurs play. I can see how easy it is for me to get to, to Manchester City's Academy Stadium. I can find out how much the tickets cost and I can find out when they play. The opening fixtures are out. Um, the FAWSL, the top league, um, kicks off in September. The Championship kicks off earlier in August, that's quite some time to wait. So we've got to think about how we keep this going and how we react and we react quickly. Um, it does make me a little bit nervous but do you know what? People should start booking tickets now and here's an interesting thing as well Ian, there are proposals today to hold double headers with top flight men's sides and the women's sides as well. Um, I applaud that massively as long as they're in their own individual stadiums. I think what we don't want to see is um, you know trying to trying to grow women's football in a massive 60,000-seater stadium. Um, so that's a really interesting type as well. If you can go to, to the Academy Stadium to watch Manchester City women and then pop over to the Etihad um, to watch the men's team, that would be great. And once you go once, please go again. Don't just go once as a token gesture. I know I've been to see my local side. Go again and take your daughters, nieces, nephews, sons, grandsons. Take them all. And it's a totally different atmosphere to a men's game. Yeah, and it, it's just genuine.
0: Exactly. Now, I'll tell you what we're doing to build on this momentum. We have got the offside rule coming back in August, and that will be UK and Lindsay and Haley discussing all of the football, men's and women's. But we've also got the Offside Rule WSL edition. It's going to be a weekly show dedicated to the domestic game. It's going to be packed with players and ex-players and brilliant broadcasters, all of the people you've loved on the World Cup shows on Spotify and with all of that Muddy Needs media goodness as well. But do you know what it hasn't got? It hasn't got a sponsor yet. It is up for grabs. If yeah. you want a slice of this, and you know you do, get in touch with us now. Now, God damn it! Email sales at muddyneesmedia.com. That is the offside rule, WSL edition. This World Cup's been massive. Imagine how big women's football is going to be as we build on all of that. Let's build on it together. Thank you, Kate. Thank you. Um, what are you going to do with your newfound freedom?
1: Um, well, I've got a few shows lined up today, and then I'm kind of back to work, back to my day jobs, um, and I'm looking forward to the summer um, and to do some planning. We'll be doing the Offside World exclusives probably as well with the lovely sit-down interviews with famous names in football. Um, so there's loads of great stuff coming up. But I, I, just to just to echo what you've said, um, you know, do it for your kids, for your grandkids, for your nieces. Go and go and support. Go and help us make this show. There's no other dedicated women's football show here in the UK at the moment. So if we can make this podcast and if we can help to continue the legacy, that would mean so much. It really, really would. We could make such a difference. That's
0: it. We're doing it. We haven't even got a sponsorship deal. We're just jumping off the cliff and learning how to fly on the way down. Um, If you missed any of those Offside Rule shows and you want to listen to them, of course you do. There's the in-depth review of the final. Uh, There's a special episode all about the Lionesses campaign. Head to Spotify Offside Rule for those ones. And if you want a taster, try this.
4: There's a I want us to play like we did in the first half for 90 minutes. We've got to be relentless now, we want to be here for the
1: next 37 days. Now
4: they're saying the Cameroon players are pointing at a TV screen in the stadium. And they're arguing about a VAR decision that has been made. Now the referee here has allowed this to go on far, far, far too long.
1: never seen anything like it.
4: It's almost as if they don't want to carry on. I've got to say that that wasn't football for me. That wasn't a World Cup last 16 in terms of the behaviour that I want to see from, from footballers. You know, it, this is going out worldwide.
1: It seems everyone is getting behind the England team ahead of their massive match tonight.
4: Here's Lucy Browns! What a goal! What a goal!
1: You know, I've been dreaming of, of playing in Lyon and getting to that semi-final again and I've had to wait four years and I think that was all that kind of pressure and, and passion just came out on that strike. England's Lionesses will bid for a place in the World Cup final and a place in football history later when they take on the USA, the defending champions. Moran, setting it in there, right of, go!
3: Happy birthday Alex Morgan! Full time. It's Sweden who triumph in the third, fourth
5: place playoff. So many positives to take from this tournament. So many brilliant memories for this England side. But ultimately, they are going home empty-handed.
4: On Spotify, smart speaker, and podcast platforms everywhere. This is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media.
0: A reminder, we're in the studio today with Alvaro Romeo and Duncan Alexander. Duncan, I've just read this note from producer Ben that says, you, James Horncastle and Julian Laurent will be at the Southbank Centre at the end of September for the first Totally Football Live show of the season. Indeed, yeah. Is this your debut on the Totally Football Show Live? No.
3: No. You're a seasoned yeah. yeah.
0: Um, we were there last year, in fact,
3: but we wow. were... They're the same night as the FIFA Awards. Yes, we were. So I remember that. Now. I'm
0: hoping security will be less this year, but maybe yeah. more, looking at that lineup. I so. think we were the better ticket in town, to be honest. I mean, I'm not just saying that out of loyalty, I think there was far more entertainment where we were. Uh, if you want tickets to see those three and hear Jimbo give the inside scoop of World's Strongest Man and the Great Model Railway Challenge, head to southbankcentre.co.uk. That's totally football live. And that's Monday, September the 30th at the South Bank Centre with Duncan, James Horncastle, Julianne Ron, and James Richardson. Alvaro, just been passed another note by producer Ben. It says, um, that can't be right, Ben. Chelsea have appointed Frank Lampard as manager. God, that's come <laughs> out of nowhere. <laughs> what do you make of that?
2: Well, it was uh, very well expected. There are many many doubts regarding uh, Frank Lampard because he doesn't have any experience in the top flight. But at the same time, uh, as I've been saying for many years, experience is uh, quite an overrated thing among managers. Uh, because uh, if you check what the best managers in history, uh, when their success came, normally it was at the early stages of their managerial career, the likes of Pep Guardiola, Jose Mourinho, Luis Van Gaal, and so on got the best of themselves at the age of 40, 45. So I think that Frank Lampard's appointment is a brave one, but I think that it could be the right one as well.
0: All right, voice of confidence there. Let's get the inside scoop on all of this with our pal, Matt Davis-Adams, in-house commentator for Chelsea. Matt, you've seen him come and seen him go. Does this appointment feel any different?
5: Yeah, it does feel different. I mean, first of all, he's the first permanent English manager of the club since Glenn Hoddle, which is quite a long time ago, 1994. So just from that perspective, but um, somebody obviously with a not just a link to the club, but quite possibly the greatest player in the history of the club, certainly one of the most significant. So you can't underestimate the importance of that. The transfer ban might have had something to do with the fact that he became a preferred candidate but I'm not sure how big an impact that actually will have you know it's only a couple of windows effectively and they've already managed to sign Pulisic and Mateo Kovacic this summer and there's a big Eden Hazard shaped hole obviously but that's going to be difficult to fill with anybody so um, yeah I'm not sure if that was a a huge part in it or not or whether it was just the the paucity of other candidates but in terms of for Lampard it's it's a perfect storm for him because He's getting the chance to to manage the club where he made his name, probably far earlier than he would have expected to.
0: Tell us about the rest of the backroom team he's bringing with him, and what that will do for the general mood of the club, because it's often been less than cheery under Sarri, Conte, and Moo.
5: Quite, and, and and the key thing here is likely to be the link between. The academy and the first team, which has been sort of divided since Andre Villas-Boas separated um, separated the, the two squads and, and put them in different buildings at Cobham. So he'll be bringing Jody Morris, who was his assistant at Derby, who of course had an unprecedented amount of success with the Chelsea U team in his time there. Uh, he won four trophies in one season alone. Uh, he'll be bringing Chris Jones as well, who was his fitness coach at Derby, who, who was working with Jody with the, the Chelsea under eighteen team, and the key link that they provide is with Neil Bass who is the head of the academy and he oversees everything you know from the under 23s right down to to the 8 year olds. so the the knowledge of the club from that side of it is something which they will hope uh, enables them to some extent to to circumnavigate the transfer ban obviously they they have a, a and much talked about high number of players out on loan at any one time lots of those will be coming back and lots of those will be looking to um, to push on and make a mega case to get in the first team so yeah Jody Chris Jones and Joe Edwards who was the under 23s coach last season and took the under 19s to the UEFA Youth League final which is the junior equivalent of the Champions League uh, he will be more involved with the first team as well and, and Frank with his in his first interview uh, which was with the, the Chelsea website and Chelsea app said that he, he wants to build that bridge from the academy to the first team but he doesn't want the perception to be that it's going to be easy for people to do that and and that's important, I think. He gave more minutes to under 21 players than any other manager in the Championship last season. But it, you can argue, obviously, that it's much easier to do that with Derby County than it is with Chelsea. So I don't think it's a case that we're going to be seeing six or seven players go straight into the first team. But certainly if you're Ethan Ampadu, who's been around the first team for a while without really getting a chance, or if you're Reese James, who was in the Championship Team of the Year last season with Wigan, or Tammy Abraham, who, who got 25-plus goals, and, and of course, Mason mance to Murray, who played for Lampard at Derby last season you will be thinking that there is a real chance for you to be in and around as they say the first team certainly I think in terms of the League Cup and things like that I'd be very surprised if we didn't see lots of those players involved.
0: Finally Matt word is that Frank's been promised at least two years by Roman Abramovich that doesn't happen very often what counts as a successful season this time round?
5: Yeah, I think a successful season would be qualifying for the Champions League. Uh, one thing that Chelsea do put a lot of stock in, more so maybe than any other top six club, is having a decent run in the in the domestic cups. Obviously, they, they won the Europa League last season, but they also got to the final of the League Cup. So, so putting a trophy in the cabinet or getting to a final again of the League Cup or the FA Cup would be good too. But if you could finish in the top four, I think that would actually be a pretty remarkable achievement in a lot of ways for somebody who's managing in the Premier League for the first time and and we're kind of expecting that you you know your Wolves and your Leicesters are going to try and threaten that top six a little bit more than maybe they did last season so yeah top four will certainly be the aim but maybe you could argue that the pressure's off him you know nobody's expecting any more than that so if he gets there and maybe he manages to, to match what Maurizio Sarri did last year and finish third then that would be a tremendous season
0: Matt Davis-Adams, will be commentating on Frank's first game in charge away against Bohemians on Wednesday night, which you can only hear on the 5th Stand app, which is the new name and app for Chelsea TV. So there you go. Duncan, Chelsea's first five competitive games this season are Manchester United away, the Super Cup against Liverpool in Istanbul, Leicester at home, Norwich away and Sheffield United. Um what do you think we'll be saying at the end of August will it be Frank in crisis I don't think
3: he can go into crisis for quite a long time I've seen a lot of Chelsea fans say yeah we are pretty bad with managers um as seeing last season but basically Lampard's got a free
0: a free run because they love him so much so I seem to remember saying this at South End with Chris Powell and <laughs> not every other South End fan agreed with me
3: Yeah um I mean he starts obviously Man United is quite reminiscent Mourinho's first game was uh, was against Manchester United it's going to be a tough start for him, but you know he's he's got the summer to well most of the summer to work out what he's going to do. Um, yeah, we'll see. But I think I think the key thing is he is going to have longer to you know to work out what he's going to do than, than most Chelsea managers a do.
0: Third place and a cup success would probably be a reasonable target, wouldn't it?
3: That's old hat, isn't it?
0: <laughs> Alvaro, um, this transfer ban he's got. It's kind of good in a way, isn't it? It takes the pressure off a bit. It plays into his strengths of working with young players.
2: Well, I guess it's good for, because he's it is a soft pressure on uh, Frank Lampard at the same time they have lost Eden Hazard and uh, probably they would like to replace uh, this player with someone this quality and unfortunately they cannot Uh, I think that Frank Lampard is inheriting uh, probably the best uh, English team in the last decade uh, title-wise and at the same time the question will be here what the demands for him are? I mean if uh, they are demanding Frank Lampard to do as good as Manchester City or Liverpool in the league which I believe no one will uh, if they demand him that uh, then Chelsea will find it. Extremely difficult and Frank Lampard as well. But if they try to do something similar to what Sarri did last season, finishing third, uh, <laughs> trying to win a cup trophy, then uh, it's a possibility. And I think that Chelsea uh, still has the backbone to do something like that. Maybe they don't have a player who makes the difference, like uh, Eden Hazard anymore, but uh, they've got a really interesting mix of uh, experienced players and also some youngsters. And let's see what happens with the Loanese, like Mason Mount. Uh, Tommy Abraham and all that that they, they can step in and make a difference as well I think that Chelsea is not as bad as as uh, we may think uh, because uh, basically they've been a winning team for, for 10 years already
3: the, Yeah, the man I feel a bit sorry for is Jorginho because obviously he was brought in as Sarri's kind of man on the pitch um, you wonder whether Lampard will, will shift Kante back to, to that role um, given that
0: it's an easy PR win isn't it just dropping yeah, Kante back yeah
3: and there. I mean Lampard's already said as well that you know the likes of Danny Drinkwater is back in contention as well which you forget how much Chelsea actually paid for him I mean, you know, and he did win the Premier League with Leicester so, so yeah I mean he, it is a kind of fresh start for everyone really
0: Right. Let's talk about some transfer news. Uh, almost all of these stories have a Spanish angle, Alvaro. So it's a very, very good day for you to come in. Uh, Manchester City have signed uh, Rodri from Atletico Madrid for 67
2: million. Who is this Welsh wonderkid? He's um, a tremendously uh, gifted midfielder, a player who plays deep uh, next to uh, next to the defenders. Uh. He's tall, he's uh, physical, but at the same time he doesn't use his physicality all the time to win the ball. Uh, he uses and rather his intelligence for that. Mm, he comes from Villarreal Academy. He didn't fit Simeone's style 100%. In fact, uh, players like Rodri, players like Koke, sometimes you get the feeling that they are underused by Simeone, uh, being deployed sometimes even to play as fullbacks or center backs. And uh, Rodri can be the perfect fit uh, for Manchester City because last season we were demanding uh, someone to come and deputise when Fernandinho wasn't there. In fact, uh, a couple of games lost in the Christmas period uh, were precisely when Fernandinho was absent. And Rodri can be that player that uh, does the Busquetson role for Manchester City. He is very intelligent. Uh, He is a player who speaks English already and uh, he fits into the Pep Guardiola system uh, perfectly.
0: Okay, uh, Manchester United, if you believe the papers are in for Saul Niguez, which is probably not how you say, say his name. Uh,
2: Saul Niguez. It's, he's a, a very, very good player. And again, I don't think that Saul will leave Atletico de Madrid, even though he's in release close, as far as I believe. is kind of doable for Manchester United because he's 60 million euro, uh, which uh, translated to pounds, it's about 52, 53. Um, the thing with Saúl is that last season he played uh, as a fullback quite a lot and I don't think that he, he will like that. Uh, Simeone makes his players play that way many times but uh, I think that this is uh, something that English media has been talking more about than Spanish media. OK, Diego Costa to Everton. Uh, he only scored five goals in 31 games at Atletico. Yeah, uh, he hasn't done great, uh, Diego Costa for Atletico even though I find it unlikely that uh, he goes to, to Everton. Normally when a good Atletico Madrid striker leaves goes to China uh, because Atletico has great connections with the Chinese market so I think that uh, move to China if Diego Costa leaves which uh, uh, I've put a question tag on top of that uh, if he moves I think that it will be more likely him to go to China
0: OK, what's going on with Antoine Griezmann? Um, why hasn't he joined Barcelona yet? He's just been fined for not attending the first day of preseason training.
2: Yes, and there is a, there is a controversy between Barcelona and Atletico to the point that Atletico um, stated, uh, sent an statement uh, last week saying that the, uh, Barcelona has been in talks with the player even when Atletico de Madrid was playing against Juventus, was playing against Barcelona for the league. Well, all that said, the main problem here is that Barcelona wants to pay the, the release clause of Griezmann in installments uh, and wants to put 40 million up front now. Atletico de Madrid wants the full money now and uh, probably they won't accept any other thing than 120 million now because they have to, obviously with the Griezmann money, they have to pay Joao Felix and release clause and uh, many other signings that they want to do. These release clauses,
3: I read last week obviously Rodri went to La Liga headquarters and, and sort of paid it himself. I quite like the idea of the players just pitching up with a big van full of money and sort of saying <laughs> I'm off I mean is that how it works not the
2: van obviously but perhaps in the past but now it's normally the agent uh, who goes to to La Liga if premises and uh, pays the money uh, in there. It's normally let's say in this case if Griezmann signs for Barcelona, Barcelona gives the money to Griezmann and is the player who, who does his own uh, who buys his freedom, let's put it that way So I reckon that there's definitely a new Steve Bruce novel in a player being given 80
3: million to pay off his release clause and doing a runner and basically <laughs>
0: Just in a transit van full of cash Yeah. <laughs> Steaming yeah. up the M1 Yeah, we're yeah. good. We should make that happen. We should. Def- there's a even a podcast in there. Um, (laughs) Elsewhere, though,
2: Neymar. What is going on with Neymar, Alvaro? Well, according to Barcelona president and what he said in last Friday's um, press conference, there's nothing going on with Neymar Uh, even though it is said and reports say that Neymar will be willing to leave PSG and uh, that he regrets having left uh, Barcelona a couple of years ago well, Barcelona president said that there is nothing uh, over Neymar but at the same time he is stint as a Barcelona president will finish uh, in two years time and uh, he wants to win the next elections and uh, for that he is making a tremendous investment in every Barcelona department in basketball they have signed a Mirotic from NBA, in football they are about to sign Griezmann, in hockey they have signed the best player in the world, and so on. Barcelona, we know that they've got many clubs, so I wouldn't be surprised if Barcelona would be happy to have Neymar back again, but obviously Paying 200 million for the players is absolutely impossible because you have to meet the financial fair play rules and that will be uh, at the expense of selling Coutinho, uh, who did a good Copa America, or at the expense of selling Dembélé. So some players have to be offloaded, probably before Neymar comes in. So that's uh, still not happening and it doesn't seem that it's going to be something that will happen in within a couple of weeks. Uh, it will take some time, obviously, and probably that will be uh, prolonged until the end of August. Duncan, more bad news for Newcastle fans. They've lost Perez. He's gone to
0: Leicester for £30 I always thought with him, him at the top of a not-streamlined, not-bootstrapped football team, might be a really decent player. Yeah,
3: he's good. Um, he's one of only four players in 2019, so obviously since January, to score 10 or more Premier League goals. Um, obviously, he was a key man in keeping Newcastle up. Um, and the, the other three players are Aguero, Sadio Mane and Jamie Vardy so Leicester have now got two of the four um, you know and if they get two as well they're looking pretty good
0: it's very early isn't it but could you see Leicester breaking into that top six
3: yeah I think so I mean if you looked at the numbers last season both going forwards and going at the back they were they probably underperformed given what they did so the fact that you know Rodgers has got a full pre-season I think they've got definitely got the squad to kind of break into that top six particularly if as mentioned earlier Arsenal and Manchester United continue to have woes
0: Another team looking to kick on our West Ham, but they will have to do the kicking without Onaltovich, uh, who has now left. And I've got to say, in this day and age, everything's so hyper-commercialised. Players are so often little more than commodities for clubs. It was it was genuinely heartwarming to see West Ham's Twitter feed. They just kind of let it all out with their emotional confirmation tweet. It read, "Marco Onaltovich departs. Very yeah. teletext, I thought. Um, it's a weird one, isn't
3: it? Because the start of the year, in January... They didn't want him to go. He was in really good form before Christmas. He almost left. Then he signed a new contract. Then he got injured. Then he came back scored a couple of goals and now he's now he's gone. It's a bit it's quite West Ham.
0: But. Yeah. Doesn't doesn't feel like there's any love lost there. They might be spending all of that money on and a little bit more on Maxi Gomez of Celta Vigo. Uh, Alvaro, any good?
2: He's a good player, definitely. Mm, I don't think he's as good as Marco Arnautovic even though perhaps he will settle down nicer in uh, london because mark arnautovic was never you could you could tell that he he always say aimed, aimed more than uh, what he was getting whereas i think that maximo gomez knows where his limit is at the same time the player wants to go to valencia but West Ham United is ready to pay more, which means that Celta wants to sell the player to, to West Ham United. So this saga will go on until, obviously, a team makes a proper offer. And then uh, whoever gets Maxim Gómez, they will be getting a good striker. Maybe not as good as Mark Arnautovic, but definitely a very consistent one.
0: Well, there you go, West Ham fans. You might be getting someone not as good as the man you've just sold <laughs> to Shanghai SIPG. Uh, There are bonus points available if you know what the SIPG stands for, Duncan. I don't. Alvaro? I'm afraid they don't. Okay, well, that's disappointing, because I think <laughs> our listeners will be screaming at their earphones. <laughs> Shanghai International Port Group, of course. Of course. And, uh, <laughs> anyone who's been following the growth of the Chinese Belt and Road Initiative uh, in The Economist will uh, will already have known that. Um, finally, and God, please be finally, Paul Pogba continues saga transfer, bring me death now. How long is this going to go on for, Duncan um 14
3: years but he's gone on the pre-season tour although reports are that real madrid have encouraged him to because they don't want manchester to be grumpy
0: (laughs) so who knows i mean it's very
3: reminiscent do you remember the early 2000s when every summer it was will patrick vieira leave
2: arsenal yeah and it's it's like that isn't it yeah it's it's digging in now
0: um is he a real madrid player alvaro
2: uh, well, Zinedine Zidane wants him to be a Real Madrid player and uh, whatever Zidane says uh, counts a lot at Real Madrid um, especially he, since he came back as the as the savior of the club after a, terri- a terrible season. Zinedine Zidane wants the player uh, Real Madrid president apparently is not so convinced to cash that money on Pogba and this is going to be going on until someone makes a move uh, and probably Real Madrid is waiting for Pogba to ask either the transfer request or to have a terrible attitude during this summer so his price uh, decreases a little bit? Part of me hopes he does go back to Juventus because because then he'll become the uh, the luxury
3: George McCartney he'll have gone United Juventus (laughs) United Juventus so that'll be nice
0: (laughs) coming up after this uh, more international football
4: The Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport is back for the Tour de France.
6: And there's no bigger privilege than to say the words, Geraint Thomas is our Tour
4: de France champion. Join me, Graham Wilgos, Sir Brad, and our special guests every Monday for unrivaled insight. They can't be deluded, and they have to be realistic, they have to ride to their strengths. And you'd say the man in form at the moment is Bernal. The man who should be commanded the respect is G, as last year's winner. Exclusive interviews and uncanny impressions. I don't think we're going to sign him next year, what do you think Brad? Do you want a massage, Kev? Uh, Bradley said that uh, your team is full of. <laughs> Johnny, in St. Helens.
5: <laughs> Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audio Boom, and everywhere else, you get your audio on demand. Au revoir. Well,
0: the hosts, Egypt, are. Out of the Africa Cup of Nations, beaten 1-0 by South Africa. I don't think many people saw that coming. Lots of tears from Mo Salah and the immediate termination of the manager's contract. South Africa will face Nigeria in the quarterfinals. The Super Eagles knocking out the not-so-indomitable, indomitable indomitable lines of Cameroon in the last 16. Cameroon were the holders, of course. But that's not really the big story. The big story is that Madagascar are also in the quarterfinals after beating Dr Congo 4-2 on penalties on Sunday night. to all after extra time they'll play Ghana or Tunisia who face each other tonight tonight being Monday Um, if you want to read more about that you should read a really good piece by Amy Lawrence in The Guardian about the success of the Malagi football project she writes their story is an African version of Iceland but without the enormous bubble covered training centres and highly qualified coaches Uh, Duncan, do you have a favourite player in the Madagascar squad?
3: Probably Romario, Baggio, Rocoto, Harisoa, I think. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. that one. Yeah. Um, and Madagascar were good. I mean, they're the first um, debutant team at AFCON to go and beaten in their first four games since Libya back in 1982. First to score in their first four uh, since Zambia back in 1974. And this campaign is a bit reminiscent of Zambia in 2012 when they won. You know, they're not particularly good. But they're kind of grinding their way through and, you know, fair play.
0: Yeah. That's pretty much what England did in 2018. <laughs> Almost worked for them. All right, a fun fact about the Madagascar game against Congo. The Madagascan president, Andrew so see, nailed that one, chartered a plane for 500 fans to come over and see the match. You want some more fun facts? Do, yeah, yeah. Bet you do. Uh, fourth largest island in the world. Per capita, they smoke more marijuana than the Dutch. That's per capita, just to be very clear after that incident before. Uh, Bare knuckle fighting is one of the national sports, but it's called uh, merangi. Uh, that can't be right. Uh, they had a truly bonkers queen between 1833 and 1839. Queen Ranavalona used to poison her political enemies and had such a thing as the Tangina ordeal uh, as a, a judicial process in which those who were accused of crimes were forced to eat poison and three bits of chicken skin. And if they died, they were guilty. Uh, if they failed to regurgitate all three pieces, and that would probably lead to them dying, they were guilty. But if they could sick them up and survive, innocent. Well, there you go. Worth considering in these troubled times. There's <laughs> a couple of pubs like that, so... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, half the world's chameleons and uh, dozens of species of lemur live there. Um, but producer Ben would like to point out there are no tigers, giraffes, hippos, or... Or indeed, Penguins. Uh, moving on to Gold Cup and Copper America in Chicago, it was the final of the Gold Cup between USA and Mexico. Mexico's Jonathan DeSantos Santos with the only goal of the game there, while over in Brazil.
6: ¡Pica,
2: <laughs>
0: Yeah, some lovely goals in Argentina's 2-1 win over Chile in the third, fourth place game in the Copa America. Big story was Lionel Messi's red card after he got involved in a scrap with Cardiff City legend Gary Medell, aka The Pitbull. Duncan, what happened there? Uh, Well, Messi sent off for the first time since Brokeback Mountain
3: came out, which was a (laughs) sensation. Um, And it's just, it's a continuation of him obviously failing to win an international tournament. I think what has changed you know obviously he's inevitably compared with maradona um but the difference is that when maradona was able to drag uh, argentina to the 86 world cup the the standard of football then was was a lot more rustic so you could kind of do it whereas modern football is so kind of rehearsed and and complicated that you can't just kind of plonk Messi in a in a mediocre team and and hope you're going to win i mean 86 we had mexico v paraguay a game which had 78 fouls in it
0: 78 fouls, which is a world cup record,
3: that's very nearly one a minute. Yeah, so um,
0: maths GCSE, that is, yeah,
3: good, good working out there. Um, but the, you know, that's the sort of football where if you are Maradona, you can probably just win a game by yourself. But now it's a lot more, you know, free flowing. And and Messi, you know, looks like he's probably going to end his career without winning a international. He was very tournament.
0: upset, wasn't he, Alvaro? What did he actually get sent off for?
2: Well, uh, for nothing, really. I mean, the the wall the ball was going out and he pushed a little bit uh, Gary Medel on um the Chilean player just uh, had a go at uh, Lionel Messi pushing three times uh, Messi uh, didn't even try to defend himself uh, was a chest versus chest uh, uh, class uh, three times and uh, the referee took the very salomonic decision of uh, uh, handing a red card uh, to both of the players uh, he should have been checking the, the VAR for that probably and uh, that's one of the complaints uh, from Lionel Messi after, after the game uh, Messi shouldn't have been uh, sent off for that but but at the same time, he shouldn't have said what he said after the game. Well, he, that,
0: uh, he did go full Didier Drogba, didn't he? Uh,
2: absolutely, yes. Uh, and he was very critical of the Conmebol, uh, which is the the American UEFA. And uh, he was uh, hinting, well, not hinting, he expressed that the, the competition was arranged in the favour of Brazil which is a, a really, really big statement, uh, really serious, uh, if I have to say, and uh, probably Conmebol will take, uh, will take some measurements against it, uh, like uh, handing Lionel Messi a proper ban. At, at the same time, if I may say, um, VAR implementation in America uh, has been terrible so far. Uh, Copa America was... Uh, it was desperating to watch uh, Copa America and how the referees were using VAR. Uh, there was a terrible communication between the VAR room and the referee, and a uh, few decisions uh, were very arbitrary in the sense that uh, there were some uh, plays that were reviewed and some others that weren't, and uh, you, you didn't understand why. And which is exactly what happened to Argentina in the semi-final versus Brazil.
3: Yeah, we've now reached the kind of era of VAR conspiracy theories. You know, you know, leaked reco- supposedly leaked recordings of what the refs are saying in the room. It's you know, VAR came in. It was supposed to kind of solve. A lot of controversy and it seems to have just trebled it. And even today we've seen um, Mike Riley say that the Premier League interpretation of it next season is going to be different to the one we've seen this summer. You know, they're going to be a lot less harsh on handball. So it's it's all a bit
0: random at the moment. Those of us who were just hoping that everyone could grow up and stop whinging and we wouldn't need any of this are just going to sit there rubbing our hands in glee for many years, I fear. that wasn't the final, of course. The final was Brazil Peru on Sunday night. Jack Lang was there watching it for us and for the athletic. And here he is now.
6: Yeah, Brazil, I think, deserved to win. There's no doubt about that. They played with a decent amount of conviction. It hasn't been a brilliantly showy tournament from them at all, but only conceding once throughout, and that was from from a penalty tonight, I think shows the, the level of control they managed through most of their matches.
2: Uh,
6: it was never going to be a 5-0, I don't think, like the group stage result was, because Peru had played themselves into the, into the competition, really. It looked a lot better, especially in the semi-final against Chile, and they put up a decent fight here but you have to say that brazil's difficulties such as they were in the second half were mainly self-inflicted and brazil then also had a pleasant off gabriel jesus who was excellent up to that point probably on course to be man of the match and his reaction after that certainly seemed to suggest that he kicked a bottle in anger and and slammed the the entrance to the tunnel with his hand and was later uh, recorded down the tunnel, crying. So I guess at that point he thought he might have cost Brazil the match, but in the end it, it didn't turn out to be the case. They got another, uh, got their third goal later on Richarlison from the spot, and yeah, it was, it was. I think you would struggle to argue that they didn't deserve it on balance of play.
2: Brazil? Richarlison penalty. O pombo. O Brasil faz o terceiro.
1: o gol do título, o gol da conquista o gol da Copa América
0: Alvaro, Brazil then, champions of South America.
2: The best team of South America, by a mile or two. The rest of the team, they are not as good as Brazil, simple as that, and I believe that uh, probably the best football you can watch on the planet is is played in Europe at the minute, uh, not in South America. Uh, It's been a long time since uh, South American clubs uh, could challenge uh, European clubs in the um, Copa Intercontinental that happened in the 90s, in the 80s, Uh, but uh, South America still kept the country level to prove that they they were as good as Europe and I believe that uh, with the problems of Argentina uh, with uh, Cavani and Luis Suarez getting older for Uruguay Colombia being inconsistent Brazil is the only team that uh, South America can rely on uh, to perform well in a World Cup It's a Brazilian team that doesn't have the art that had before Sometimes they play with uh, three midfielders, sometimes we play, they play with two. They've got a lot of youth at the front, which is very good uh, looking ahead to the Tokyo 2020 Olympics because Richarlison, Gabriel and uh, possibly Everton will be playing in the starting lineup for Brazil, which is terrific for them, and uh, probably Everton has been the, the player that uh, has a, sta- a standout uh, over the rest, a really quick winger, uh, who has done a terrific job on the channels, and also he has proven that uh, he isn't ready to play at the uh, European level, for sure. Yeah, I mean, he ended this, the tournament as the joint top
3: yeah. scorer, um, something we haven't seen in England, Everton being top scorer since hey. 1987, so uh, <laughs> that was nice. Um, and his goal, actually, in the final was the first goal in a Copa America final since 2011 because there have been some stinkers since then. So it was just good to
0: see a uh, some goals. All right, that is it for another lovely, bright and breezy summer edition of the Totally Football Show. Duncan, what are you up to for the rest of the week?
3: Um, just kind of season is approaching now, so a bit of preparation. I've had quite a relaxed June.
2: Alvaro, any plans for the week? Well, I've been on holiday for a couple of weeks, so... I am in acceptance now. Uh, I am back uh, on track and I've got 2,000 emails uh, to catch up uh, with, which is great. And uh, I don't know if... uh england is excited about this but the tour de france is already on and i want to watch every single stage because i love it oh. i truly love it well, i'm, you I'm go, with you... you a thousand percent there so
0: <laughs> well you know where you can hear more about that don't you the bradley wiggins show of you have you so...
3: seen what he's doing in the in the tour
0: of course i have
3: yeah he's sat on the which back but of...
0: tell me just in case i've forgotten
3: all right he's sat on the back of a motorbike for eurosport in and around the peloton to <laughs> use football parlance peloton. yeah um which It's something they've done on French telly for quite a long time, but it is pretty cool.
0: All right. Get all over that and get all over that Bradley Wiggins podcast. You find it, you know, wherever you usually find your podcasts. On Thursday, Rafa Honigstein will be with me and Michael Cox talking about the great Bayern team of 2013. That is the last of our summer series of zonal marking specials. That's not easy to say. Thank you for all the kind words about that. I'm very glad that you guys have enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed doing them. In the meantime, keep up to date with all things Totally by following us on Twitter at The Total show lots of things to keep you updated with
4: and we will see you next time you've been listening to the totally football show a muddy knees media production for sales and advertising email sales at muddyneesmedia.com and don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on spotify apple podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day.